Can my happiness really be just as simple as changing my beliefs? What's up, you guys? Welcome to the Therapy Brothers Podcast. I'm Brandon. I'm Tyler. We're brothers. We're therapists. We're not afraid of your questions. So bring it. Do you feel like no matter how much therapy you do, things really aren't getting better? That you'd like to accelerate your feelings of peace and empowerment because it's just not happening? As a man, do you feel stuck? Do you lack purpose? Do you not know what real masculinity is? Are you unable to create safety and passion and intimacy in your relationships? Are you lacking connection to God? If you're relating to any of these things, then you need to come to our Rising Sun Conference. Tyler and I have developed a process and an experience for men to shift into their power, to know who they truly are, to experience their purpose, and learn how to connect to God. So go to risingsunconference.com. Now that's rising sun as in S-O-N, conference.com, and sign up there as soon as you can because space is limited. We'll see you there. What's going on, you guys? I'm Tyler, your wandering therapist. And I'm on my own again today. Uh, Brandon is like the world's best dad, I guess. He's taking his boys out to uh, a baseball game in Atlanta. So he's out of town and not available today. So I am the lone man here, um, but I'm excited to be with you guys today. And this is a good question. We're going to talk a little bit about beliefs today. Um, Before we jump into any of that, I just want to start with our review for the day. This one just actually came through just yesterday. So it says, it's short. It says, I'll be back for more. This is my new favorite podcast to binge. It's a safe space for much needed conversations to happen. Uh, Thank you for the feedback. Uh, We appreciate that feedback. That's actually something that we've been hearing from other people who haven't necessarily gotten on and written these reviews, but some of the feedback that we've been getting from other places is that um, people are grateful that we're willing to have some discussions that sometimes aren't, they don't totally sit well with everybody, but they're open to at least allowing us to do some thinking. And, um, and hopefully today will be no different. Hopefully we'll have a little bit of a nice discussion here. Got a good question that we're going to get into. Uh, I wanted to just kind of start by asking you guys to think about the idea of what a belief is. Um, what, what that even is. Uh, but before we do that, I'm going to read a question. It says, my therapist keeps telling me that if I just change my beliefs about myself, that everything would get better. They make it sound so simple, but it's not. Do you believe this is true? And do And if you do, how do I change my beliefs? So I'm guessing with this question, you're asking about maybe beliefs about yourself or beliefs about your spouse, beliefs about your relationships. I guess it could be a number of different things that you're wanting to change. But I think at the core of the question is, do we, do we pause to consider the actual power of belief itself in the process of being able to change and find joy and happiness in our lives? And I think that's a worthy question to talk about. It's a worthy topic to talk about. I think it's something that we we sort of like just have happen naturally inside of ourselves all the time to the point that we never actually really 
um, sometimes stop to consider the beliefs that we live by that drive our lives and whether or not they have a certain impact in our lives in producing outcomes that we either want or don't want. So we're going to talk a little bit about beliefs first. I want to just kind of share uh, a quote here. It uh, comes from uh, Tony Robbins material, but it's something to at least kick it off and start thinking about. It says, what is a belief? It's a feeling of certainty about what something means. Beliefs create the maps that guide us towards our goals and give us the power to take action. The challenge is that most of our beliefs are generalizations about our past based on our interpretations of painful and pleasurable experiences. Often we are unconscious about what we believe and how those beliefs affect our actions. Our limiting beliefs can cause us to miss out on the things that we want most and our empowering beliefs can drive us towards the life that we want to live. So uh, a good place to start is to to pause and say, number one, all of us have beliefs. All of us, if we stop to pause to think about some things can probably pull out some of our beliefs, whether that's in any realm of life about the way we want to parent our children or our religious beliefs or our beliefs about ourselves, our beliefs about humankind, our political beliefs. All of these things are things that go on inside of us. They actually almost become part of us. In fact, that's kind of what that definition is saying to the point that we are unconscious about what we believe. So here's the rub and here's the trick, I think, you guys, is if if our beliefs are part of who we are to the point that we're sometimes unconscious of those beliefs, you can see how it can quickly become a problem when you have something going on in your life and you want it to be different and you don't know how to make the change because often we're trying to make the change at a surface level without ever considering the baseline autopilot level of what our beliefs are telling us. I'll give you a couple of examples of this in my own life for a second. This is something that I've been wrestling with for a really long time. We've talked about the fixed mindset and the growth mindset on other podcasts. Well, the fixed mindset says that if that that if I fail at something, that means I'm a failure, which means I better not try anymore. Whereas the growth mindset says, I believe that the way to grow is to get myself in the arena and to go mess up on stuff. And when I mess up on stuff, I'll learn. And when I learn, then I'll grow. And when I grow, I'll get better. And then I can go make more mistakes and do more learning and do more growing. Inherently, there's a belief system in each the fix and the growth mindset. I grew up with more of a fixed mindset. I was deathly afraid of failure. I was deathly afraid of letting people down. I was deathly afraid of being seen as less than or as weak or as not good enough. And that fueled more beliefs. And some of my beliefs that I didn't even realize that I was developing were things like my value as a human being is hinged upon my ability to perform. So I always had to be perfect. I always had a high, high standard for myself that I could never mess up. And in doing so, <clears throat> that, that belief actually fueled, I think, some mental and emotional health problems for me because at the end of the day, I was playing in a game where my natural default setting of needing to be perfect was actually unattainable for the world that we live in. 
And because it was unattainable, I was always disappointed and I never felt like I measured up, even though I was accomplishing some really good things in my life, they never were enough, which made me never enough, which meant that my state of being, my way of being was never going to be as happy or as content or as joyful as it could be because I couldn't stop and pause and enjoy the journey that I was on and the things that I was accomplishing for what they were. So this kind of goes into the question for the day is if I could have changed those beliefs, it's likely that I would have suffered less instantly simply in choosing to be conscious enough about my belief system to ask whether or not I really needed to believe those things. And in the later years, I've kind of started to peel apart these things. We call them false agreements. And these false agreements are beliefs that are so ingrained in us that we don't even realize that they're beliefs until we stop and we have maybe sometimes them hit, they hit us upside the head or they, um, they kind, of, kind of rise to the surface through some life experiences. And then you go, oh, wow, I've been living this way without ever realizing I was living this way. I have, in a sense, been totally unconscious. Um, makes me think of the lyrics to the NF song, uh, Wake Up. You know, that so, so many of us are just kind of going through our day-to-day -day lives unconscious of the driving forces that are yielding most of the results in our lives. And, uh, and, and maybe that it's time to, to start to wake up. So let's talk a little bit about the power of belief. I want to share a few examples of the power of belief. And the first one I want to talk about with you guys is uh, this idea of beliefs about stress. So Kelly McGonigal, actually, there's a TED Talk you can go watch from Kelly McGonigal called How to Make Stress Your Friend. Um, but she references a... A study that was done on stress by 30,000 adults. So this is a massive sample size uh, for a study. And in this study, part of that, the study was to ask questions about stressful events in people's lives. And then they would measure the data for, uh, for who died in the, in the next year after filling out this questionnaire and who died related to stress-related things. What they found is that if people had really, really stressful lives, they had a whole bunch of different stressful things going on in their lives, about 43% of, they had a 43% increase of dying in the next year compared to what the normal odds would be. But only if you believed stress was bad for you. So for people who had highly stressful things going on in their lives in the last year, and who didn't believe stress was bad, they had no change in the probability of dying in the upcoming year. But if you had a highly stressful year and you believed that that stress was bad for you, your chances, your odds of dying increased by 43%. So she references this, that this is potentially the 15th highest killer for us as Americans is not stress, but the belief that stress is bad. Think about the power of that, that if I have a massively stressful life and I happen to not believe that stress is bad, but I happen to believe that stress is just a part of life and that it happens when these kinds of things go on in my life, I have no change 
in the risk of my health being bad or of losing my life. But if I have the same year and I believe stress is bad, I'm actually setting myself up for an increased, a significantly increased risk of dying. Um, powerful stuff to think about. It's not the stressful event itself. It's the belief about the stress. So how does this work with then us as human beings? Because I think this is kind of an insightful thing that most of us as human beings, we are engaged in the business of trying to survive. That's part of what's right there and right there at the brainstem. It's always on cue, like looking for ways to make sure that we're surviving. And that means in our relationships, that means, you know, not getting hit by a bus when you step off the curb. That means making sure you're aware when you're driving. All of those things, the brain is constantly looking for ways to survive. And one of the ways that the brain survives, and this is built into us, is that when we have a negative experience, of course, there's painful emotions that get elicited in that negative experience. And those painful emotions are there to cue up, in some ways, our need to survive and our need to cope. And, our, and usually those painful emotions motivate us into action. So when we have negative experiences, we have emotions that kick off the need to survive and help us to get through this hard thing. And the way that we're motivated is through painful emotions. When we have those painful emotions, the brain is smart and the brain says, oh, I'm going to start paying attention. In fact, I'm going to, because those, those emotions are uncomfortable, I'm going to actually grow these really long antenna so that I can maybe preempt any potential risk that could come to me. So now I'm already establishing a belief system that the world is now no longer a safe place. I'm looking for evidence of how that's true. And then I often find that evidence. And when I find that evidence, I have an emotional response that reinforces the belief. And I actually have a physiological response in my body that can feel like the worst case scenario is already happening. This is the power of our brains. Our brains can have us have an experience without the actual stimuli that could cause the experience being present. And that's what happens with people who have trauma responses where there's like a trigger where maybe they've experienced something. I, I kind of give you a, an example of this that, you know, I, I think I've referenced this in another episode, but uh, I had a client who was having a hard time sleeping at night and they were waking up with nightmares and they were being really kind of like really anxious and hypervigilant when they were going to bed at night. And, um, and as we kind of got to know each other, part of what we found out is, is that there was some trauma in this client's life where she had been abused sexually as a young child, kind of many times over the course of a few years. And, um, and she, she said that when she went to bed at night, she had similar feelings going to bed at night now as an adult that she did when those traumatic things were happening to her as a child. And we started to do some other treatment. We did some EMDR work and that was helpful, but she was still having this response. And after a little bit of work, what we came to find out is that she had a smoke alarm in her bedroom when she was a child that had a red blinking light. And when she was being abused, when she would dissociate, when she would check out in order to survive, 
she would focus on the red blinking light and then she would kind of numb out and her body would numb out and then she would kind of get through and survive the abuse that she was experiencing by focusing on that red blinking light. Well, now as an adult on her nightstand right next to her face is an alarm clock with red blinking lights. So her brain, without even realizing it, is picking up on that stimuli, on that red blinking light and saying, danger, 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 something's not right here. And her body is experiencing the same emotions as what had happened in her past trauma. In essence, her body is reenacting the very trauma that she experienced as a child. And it all came from the fact that her brain, without being conscious of it, was picking up on the red blinking lights. And her body was then going into the place of saying, wow, this is dangerous. Stay awake, stay hypervigilant. And then she wasn't sleeping and she was tired. And then of course, life gets hard when you're not sleeping and you're tired. And then you're always on high alert. And you're getting that cortisol dump that comes from the stress response. And when that cortisol dump is happening and there's not any time to like get recovery, that's when we believe, start to believe things are bad about stress. And we end up then having all these problems that come with stress. So the body is powerful that way. And I want to just kind of illustrate this with an exercise for you guys listening. If you have a chance, I know you might be working or not be able to do this, but for those who can just take a minute and we'll just do a, a 60 second thing here. And the more that you can get into the details of it, the more you'll start to see how this works. So find a spot, sit down for a second, if you're in your car, pull over, whatever. Um, and just stop and sit for a minute and take a couple of really deep breaths. Maybe even close your eyes if you can. And when you take those deep breaths, start to just go a little deeper with each breath so that you can notice that maybe your breathing is shallow up in your chest. Make it a little deeper. You wanna be able to have your belly button move up and down by about two inches as you breathe. Nice, full, deep breaths. And now bring your attention and focus onto an image where you're standing in a kitchen. And while you're standing in that kitchen, you can look around and take in the surroundings. Notice the color of the countertops and the patterns in the countertops, what material they're made out of. You might notice what the floor is made of and the colors and patterns in the floor and look around and see the appliances and what they look like. And then as you look across the room, you can see on the countertop that there's a bowl of fruit. And imagine just walking over to the bowl of fruit and inside the bowl of fruit amongst whatever other fruits are there, you notice all the different colors. There happens to be a lemon. And imagine reaching in and pulling the lemon out of the bowl of fruit and feeling the texture of it in your fingertips the temperature of it. You can feel the flesh of the lemon in your fingers. You might even hold it up and look at it and notice that your lemon has little slight differences in color, the shape of it, even the specific dimples in the lemon. And then imagine walking over to the countertop and grabbing a knife 
and just slicing the lemon in half and you can kind of feel the pressure of the knife going through the lemon picking up half of the lemon just put it up close to your nose inhaling and smelling it noticing what your body is doing notice what your mouth and the back of your throat are doing Imagine squeezing the lemon and seeing the juice kind of move and burst and fall and even maybe run down your elbow. And just notice what the physical sensations in your body are as you imagine squeezing and smelling this lemon that you just cut. Now, if you were able to take yourself there, if you were able to actually get into that room and imagine being in that room and feel the countertops and see the patterns and grab the lemon, there's a pretty good chance that when you got the lemon close to you or when you cut the lemon, that your mouth watered, that you felt that kind of like sour sensation in the back of your jaw, where most of us feel that sour sensation. There's a pretty good chance that if you're feeling that right now, what you were able to do is you were able to let your brain go to that place, be in that room and have that experience. And yet you might be in your car or at work or somewhere else. And yet your body is giving that response. That's the power of our brain. That's what our brains can do for us is, is that it can elicit a response in us simply by what we think about. So if we take that and we broaden that concept, we start to look at this question now that says, if you just changed how you viewed things, things would be a lot better in your life. <laughs> no, I, think I've, I think I've probably said those things to people before in therapy. And I know it comes across as like condescending and, you know, just change your beliefs and everything's going to be good. But the simple truth is this, you guys, like I'm in the process of trying to change things myself. Uh, I, I'm recognizing right now in my life currently that there are certain beliefs that I've harbored that I didn't even realize I was harboring that have caused me to have some rep repetitive things happen in my life. So one example of that is like my financial stuff. I've learned a certain way about how to handle finances. And a lot of the ways that I've learned have been good for me. They've, they've taught me to be responsible. They've taught me to try to save, to try to stay out of debt, yada, yada, yada. I'm also in a world with a lot of friends who treat finances differently than I do. And if I'm being honest with myself, some of the ways that they think about and believe about and handle their money are yielding the same results that I've been wanting to yield my whole life and have never produced. And so I've got to be willing to question my beliefs enough to be curious enough to see if there's a different way to look at things that might be able to produce the outcomes that I'm looking for that I, to this day, haven't been able to achieve. And yet I see people around me achieving those same outcomes. So I have to go into myself and be curious with myself and say, what's going on here? What are the, what are the potential beliefs that I currently have that might be limiting my ability to be successful and one of the best ways that I can do that is I can go to the people that are manifesting the things that I want and be curious with how they see the world, with how they believe about money. Or maybe it's somebody with relationships. I had a really good friend who kind of worked himself into a place where he was just totally suicidal. He'd become just totally 
just enveloped in self-hatred, uh, addictions of many forms, um, just n- some nihilism, like just, just kind of hating himself. And he got to the point where he was down in the bottom of the pit, this tunnel. And the only way that he could see that could be good for anyone, including himself was for his own life to end. He was suicidal. He felt like he had no purpose in life <clears throat> and he wanted a way out. And as he got to that very bottom of the pit where life felt totally hopeless and there was no other way to see things for him, that tunnel got really, really tight. He had a, he had a moment where he thought to himself, I'm so miserable, but I know that there's people in my own life that are happy. And for whatever reason, he didn't follow through on hurting himself. And the next day he went and wrote down a list of all the people that he thought were happy. And then he went and interviewed each of those people that he thought were happy. And then he cross-referenced all of their answers as to why they thought they were happy. And in interviewing five or six of his closest friends and family, there started to emerge some themes and patterns. And those themes and patterns were things like self-care. They were things like, finding and being engaged in a healthy cause. They were things like having strong beliefs in a higher power and, and living a life that was geared towards service and purpose. And when that, those themes started to come out, he decided that he was going to go spend time with the people that he knew were happy and he was going to live more like them and test their beliefs. And in doing so, over the course of the next five or six years, he's got what I would consider one of the most wholehearted lives that I know. He's a personal hero to me now. And it's all come as a result of his willingness to question his beliefs because he was tired of getting the outcomes that he was getting. So most of us have internal beliefs that would probably border on the, the line of being abusive to ourselves with the way we think about ourselves. Most of us are critical. We're not good enough. We need to lose weight. We're not rich enough. We're, we're never going to measure up as a husband or a father, as a wife or as a mother. We're never going to measure up. And then we try to use those negative beliefs to motivate ourselves to get better, only to find ourselves back in the same spot of believing and, re- and, and sometimes unconsciously believing that we're never going to be enough. And then we're surprised when we produce the feeling of never being enough because we're constantly letting ourselves down. But what if we, with curious eyes said, I'm gonna, I'm gonna consider that maybe I don't have to believe the way that I believe or the things that I believe about myself. What if it was possible for me to even identify that maybe I am believing those bad things about myself, but that I can consider that there might be other options for belief that could be just as true or truer. And if I can find those places, my example from earlier, the way that I'm going to be worthy of love is by performing. Does that have to be true? Well, what's it producing? Actually, it's producing misery to the point of almost being suicidal in high school because I felt so much pressure. But what if I were to pause and say, do I have to believe that? Is there something else that I could believe that would produce a different thing for me? Well, I don't know if I believe it yet, but maybe if I believe that I'm actually worthy of love because I'm a human being and I'm a miracle because I'm breathing right now, 
and that I'm a work in progress and I get a chance to go into this world and make mistakes and learn and grow. If I believe that, what could it possibly produce in my life? Well, I know that if I believed it, I'd have permission to go and make decisions without fear. I'd be able to go and experience pain as a result of my mistakes and use that pain to grow. So maybe it's worth considering that maybe I should be planting that new belief in me because it's going to potentially yield a better result for me than the one that I'm currently living. So how do you do that? You get curious first. You get curious with what are the things that might be holding me back? What are the repetitive patterns in my life that I don't like, that I seem to be a victim of, that maybe the way that I'm viewing them is causing me the problem? Maybe it's a relationship with God. God abandoned me. God doesn't love me. God punishes me. God uses me. Um, I'm always the I'm always the butt end of, of God's actions. Okay, what's that producing for you? Probably some misery, feelings of abandonment, confusion, frustration, bitterness, anger. Is there something else that you could believe that might be just as true or truer that could produce a different result? God wants me to grow. God loves me. And despite the fact that I have a ton of pain and that things are happening in my life, these are opportunities for God to access my heart. And that I'm actually in the process of becoming something more. I know some of you guys right now are listening to me like, Tyler, you're full of crap. It's like, well, that might be true. I'm not saying it is true, but it's possible that that belief could be just as true or truer. And if we follow the line of thinking down the road a little bit further, would I rather have the outcomes of believing that I'm a work in progress and that pain's part of life and that God loves me, even though I'm in a lot of pain? Does that produce something better for me than I'm abandoned, I'm unlovable, and uh, God doesn't really care about me? The outcome is likely a lot better with the, the first option. That's all. So if it's if the outcome is likely a lot better with the first option, it's at least worth considering that maybe I could believe those things. And if I don't feel like I can right now, then you start with the may I statement. May I believe blank that God is loving me through my challenges. May I believe that I'm a work in progress. May I believe that pain and suffering are part of life in order to be able to grow. Whatever you want. May I believe blank. May I believe that I'm a force for good in the world. May I believe that I'm worthy of love without having to perform. May I believe this. Spend some time with yourself in the may I place. Be curious when you find that belief. Question it. Ask if it needs to be true. And if there's something else that could be just as true or truer that could produce a better outcome. And then plug in the may I with a new belief and test it for a while. When I say test it, I mean spend some time talking to yourself, spend some time in your meditation, spend some time in the mirror, practicing the may I believe with the new belief. So um, one final story here with the power of belief, and it's going to sound stupid, but it's, it's one that I've, I've kind of thought about in my own life many, many times. When I was in high school, we had a soccer team in our high school team that when I was a freshman, we had been perennially terrible like the worst team in our region for multiple years. Like it was kind of a laughing stop to be on the soccer team at our high school. And uh, my sophomore year, they changed coaches. And Coach Brock, uh, Brock Barras, he's 
probably not listening, but if you are, Brock, thank you so much for everything that you've done for me. I, I, you've been a great influence in my life. And one of the things that you taught me was this very concept that Brock got hired and he called a team meeting and all the kids showed up. I was a sophomore at the time. And he introduced himself and said, hey, I'll be leading the team now. And this is how we're going to train. This is what our philosophy is going to be. And then he handed out his, he handed out his resume to all of the kids on the team. And on his resume, he had played semi-pro soccer. He had played college soccer. He had coached other places. His life had pretty much been dedicated to soccer. And then down at the very bottom, the very last thing on the resume in big, bold letters said, and this is going to date me, but it said 1994 high school state champion. And uh, we all kind of like laughed at it. And he said, that's what we're doing. That's what we're going to do. And we ended up playing that season. And to be honest with you, we were probably the fourth best team in our region, but we didn't know it. We won enough games. We worked really hard. We followed the plan. We didn't know it. We limped ourselves into the kind of the state playoffs, but none of us knew that we limped our way in. We just knew that we were in. And um, over the course of the next three games, I think largely because of the belief system that not only a coach had planted in the kids, but that the kids had decided to believe we ended up taking a state championship. We went from being the worst team in our region for multiple years to a state championship. And then that turned into a state runner up the next year. And then a state championship the year after that. And simply by believing and then going to work on that belief the entire program was changed. Um, that's a powerful thought to me that the power of belief could shift because the kids on the team didn't really change. Nothing changed except for a coach that was serious about believing. So I'm going to leave you with this one last thought here. It's something that most of you guys have heard before, but I think it's worth reading and I think it can be motivational. It says, if you think you're beaten, you are. If you think you dare not, you don't. If you like to win, but think you can't, it's almost certain you won't. If you think you'll lose, you're lost. For out in the world we find success begins with a fellow's will. It's all in the state of mind. If you think you're outclassed, you are. You've got to think high to rise. You've got to be sure of yourself before you can ever win the prize. Life's battles don't always go to the stronger or faster man, but soon or late, the man who wins is the man who thinks he can. Food for thought, you guys. Consider your own beliefs. Consider the things that are manifesting in your life right now that you might not like and have the courage to question how your own view of those things might be perpetuating the problem. And if you find something, consider that there might be another option. And if that other option leads to a potential better outcome, spend some time thinking about and entertaining that other option. Hope this is helpful, you guys. Uh, we love your ratings and reviews. If this is helpful, please spread it to other people. And uh, you guys have an awesome week. Mm -hmm.